I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he had been reminded of this, and I guess coming out of Remembrance Day, um, we already have been reminded of this, but when I think of this particular passage and the way that Daniel describes um, what he sees in his vision and the reality of life on planet Earth, um, this started coming to my mind. As I had had my conversation with my friend, I thought, you know, this really does depict much of what we can say about um, life as human beings on this planet over the centuries. And um, the, the story or the, the, the history is, he was sharing with me what he had been reminded of, of the involvement of Newfoundland soldiers in World War I. And um, if you know your history at all, you know that um, uh, the Allied forces fought against uh, Germany and, and those that were seeking to overthrow the world and, and take control of the world and set up their own regime. And so um, the British um, Empire started calling on uh, the different corners of the empire to send soldiers. And Newfoundland, of course, was a part of Great Britain then not a, a province of Canada, and out of 240,000 Newfoundlanders, they were able to muster 12,000 soldiers to send off to war. And in the Battle of the Somme on July 1st, those or many of those soldiers were involved in that battle. And if you know anything about the Battle of the Somme, it was a terrible battle. History records that in the Battle of the Somme, one of the, the campaigns where Canada saw some significant action, by the time it was all over, the Allies would have more than 650,000 soldiers killed, wounded, missing, or taken prisoner. And both the Allies and the Germans would each lose about 200,000 lives. For this incredible cost, the Allies moved the front line forward 10 kilometers. The losses sustained by the New New Newfoundland Regiment in 1916, out of some 800 Newfoundlanders who went into battle that morning, only 68 were able to answer the roll call the next day with more than 700 killed, wounded, or missing. The province of Newfoundland was devastated by that. They sent all their able-bodied men off to war, and most of them didn't come back. And that impacted that province for decades and decades to come. It was one of the things that actually um, brought them into the Dominion of Canada as a province. And as, as I'm thinking about that, that particular war saw a group, a, a, a nation that sought to establish an empire and rule the world, and that there were those that were willing to fight against that. But the point that I want to make is really the first point that comes out of our passage, and, and that's this, that the best that man can offer is chaos and conflict. If you think about human history, yes, we've accomplished much. Yes, there's, there's, there are aspects of life that we can look at and say, this is wonderful, and this is great, and this is great. 
But we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world, and really at the end of the day, the best that man can offer tends to lead towards either chaos or conflict. And I believe that I can say that with certainty just looking at Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. And so I trust that you're there if you have a Bible, either electronically or um, analogly. I don't even know if that's a word, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to read a little bit of the, the chapter. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read excerpts. I really would encourage you to go back, if you haven't already, and reread Daniel chapter 7 yourself. I'm also going to challenge you to read the first part of Revelation 13. We won't have time to get into that. But that corresponds very well with this particular passage. And so I'd encourage you to, to on your own time, go back and reread uh, re this passage and read Revelation 13 and see how those things uh, correlate together. But Daniel has a vision. This vision that Daniel has is of four beasts, and those four beasts correspond to the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel, by God's power, was able to interpret for him. The statue, statue of the head and shoulders of gold, the body and arms of silver, um, the, the belly and the thighs of bronze, and then the legs and the feet and toes of iron and clay. These beasts correspond with that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Yet Daniel has this vision after Nebuchadnezzar's rule and reign is all done. You can see it. It says, in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon. So he's the man that took over after Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one that's going to end up being defeated by the Medes and Persians. And in the first year of this king's reign, Daniel had a dream with the vision in his mind while he was laying in his bed. He wrote the, down the dream. And here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came from the sea, each different from the other. What we see right off the bat is this. The reality is this that the kingdoms of the world, that the world in which we live is in constant ter turmoil and, and, and conflict and chaos. This vision, Daniel sees the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. What is that? That's a storm. And that storm begins to rage. And as that storm is raging, these beasts come out of that storm. And these beasts represent the kingdoms of man and how those kingdoms progress. And as we think about the world in which we live, we are living in a storm. It has been that way since the very beginning when Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to rebel against God and they were going to do it their way. When God walks in the cool of the day with Adam, as he teaches him his commands, as he frees him to be able to tend and care for creation, and gives him one straightforward command, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve decide that they want to rebel against God and they're going to do it their way, they definitely had a knowledge of evil. We've talked about that actually. And within a generation, they've got one son beating another son to death. And from then on out, through human history, it's been chaos and conflict because we live in a storm-torn world. Are there blessings and prosperity that we can experience? Yes. 
Are there things that God has bestowed on us that we can be thankful for? Absolutely. But it doesn't take five minutes to look at the world around us to find some sort of conflict. It doesn't take probably 10 minutes to enter our home and have a conversation with a family member. And if we're not careful, conflict. That's the world in which we live. And Daniel has a vision of this kind of conflict and the empires that wage war and come into power and then are taken out time after time after time through this vision. The first beast that comes out says, was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off and it was lifted up from the ground and set on its feet like a man and given a human mind. That be straight off the bat, we would learn, or we do learn, corresponds with Nebuchadnezzar's statue, the golden head and shoulders. That would be the empire of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's empire. The tearing off of the wings, Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation and reduction in his glory. The rising up of that beast on human feet and standing upright, I believe, personally, is my conviction, and many conservative commentary writers would say much the same thing, would be the restoration of, of Nebuchadnezzar after God humiliated him. As Nebuchadnezzar stands on his balcony and looks out over the kingdom and says, look at what I've accomplished. Look at how great I am. And God says, that's not true. You have what I've allowed you to have. And God humbles him. And after seven years, Nebuchadnezzar lifts up his voice and his eyes to heaven and says, only God Almighty should be worshipped. Only God Almighty has the glory. I don't. And God restored him to his rule and his reign as king until his death. Beast number two comes. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one. That looked like a bear and it was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth it was told, get up and gorge yourself on flesh. And we discover that that bear is corresponding to the silver portion in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. The arms and the shoulder and the body, it's the Medo-Persian Empire. That the three ribs represent the three kingdoms that the Medes and the Persians defeated in order to take control of the known world. The Lydian kingdom of Asia Minor, which fell under Cyrus in 546 BC, the Chaldean Empire, which fell to Cyrus in 539 BC, and the kingdom of Egypt, which fell in 525 BC. And so for a time, the Medes and the Persians, which Daniel actually was under their authority for a time, they ruled the new known world. They were the ones that defeated the previous empire. They waged war and crushed their opponents and took over. And for a time, that kingdom was successful. And then Daniel has the vision of the next kingdom, a kingdom that he would not actually see. In verse 6, it says, After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared that was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. And as we reflect on history, we discover that after the Medes and the Persians, there was another kingdom that came in. And this kingdom came in swiftly. It was the kingdom of the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And as historians record that, 
all the historians, as I've read historians of Ezra, I've watched documentaries on the rise of the Greek Empire, it's always stated that it was amazing how fast Alexander the Great conquered the known world. He did it in such a rapid speed. The wings of the bird give that impression to us here. But equally, as fast as the Greek Empire took over and took control of the known world, after Alexander the Great's death, it quickly fractured into four separate kingdoms. It did not last after that man passed away. And we see the four heads of that leopard representing the four different kingdoms that it fractured into. The Greek and the Macedonian kingdom, number one. Number two, the Thrace and the Asia Minor kingdom. Number three, the Asian kingdom, except for Asia Minor and Palestine. And then the fourth kingdom was the kingdom of Egypt and Palestine. Daniel saw what the Greek kingdom was going to look like before the Greek kingdom even came into play. And as that kingdom rises and falls, Daniel has the vision of a fourth kingdom that's going to come. A kingdom that is so terrifying to him that he doesn't actually record for us the animal that rep represents it. It's a kingdom that really has continued on since then. Yes, you could say that the Roman Empire, which is the kingdom that we're talking about, has really been defeated. But really, the essence of the, a lot of these kingdoms just continue on today. And this kingdom that he sees is an unknown animal, but it's a terrifying animal. He says, after this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly this horn, in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human, and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. I want you to think about that for a second. What we do know is this, after the, the Greek Empire rose the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire characterizes the, the feet and the legs and the toes of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. The ten toes and the ten horns presumably represent ten confederate kingdoms. We know that the Roman Empire was brutal and it suppressed every nation that it took control over. If you've been at church for any length of time, you would have heard at some point how the Romans, just in their control of Palestine and the Jewish empire or Jewish nation, the oppression that existed under the Roman Empire. If you followed any study on the early church and church history, you'll learn very quickly the persecutions of the Christians that happened under the Roman Empire. They were brutal. That Nero was said to have lit his gardens with Christians on poles and lit them on fire. What they did to their enemies, you can see why Daniel, when he sees the vision of this beast, says, 
this thing was frightening and dreadful and terrifying. And then you have described here what I believe and many writers would say would be the rise of the Antichrist, which tells us that this is not yet come to pass. The Antichrist has not taken power yet. Scripture in the New Testament, Paul talks about the fact that there is the spirit of the Antichrist, that there has been and there is now even those that are in power or have come into power and have declined in power, those that have had the spirit of the Antichrist, those that have been rebellious against God, have been arrogant against God, have taken on the challenge of oppressing God's people and being brutal to their enemies. Wouldn't take long to look at and just study even Adolf Hitler and the way that he interacted, the what he did, how he twisted things from within the Christian faith and how he manipulated many churches in the day. And it looked like the Christian church represented or backed up the Nazi empire, the Nazi regime. But you look at the way that he treated the Jews and anybody that was a minority, he systematically exterminated people. It's not hard to look at that individual and say, that guy had the spirit of the Antichrist in him. Did he speak arrogantly? He absolutely did. Look around at many of our world leaders today. I can think of a couple. I'm, when I was reading this passage, and I thought, yes, I know that it's talking about some future ruler, the Antichrist, but I'm thinking, I could list off a handful of politicians that I know of right now that speak pretty arrogantly. They seem to think that they've got all the power and all the control, and they're going to be able to right all the wrongs, and they're going to be able to do all this sort of stuff. The best that the world has to offer us, even if some of the trappings look attractive and they look pretty good, the best that the world has to offer is chaos and conflict. And we live in a world that there are those nations that are warring against other nations and that there's uncertainty and we can watch the news and we can become terrified if we're not careful. And yet, you know what? This passage is not for us to be terrified if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. This passage is for us to be reassured. Why? Because the next thing that Daniel sees is this. He sees a vision of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And so, point number two that I want us to see is really the Ancient of Days and the coronation of the Son of Man. I, I, I call it the coronation because it sounds like a coronation to me. It looks like a coronation to me. He says this, I kept, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like finest wool. His throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were blazing fire, and a river of fire flowed, was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him, ten thousands times 10,000 stood before him, the court was convened, and the books were opened. Daniel sees God Almighty sitting on his throne. I believe that he's depicted really in, in, in a way that would look like he's a judge, 
judging over the nations. What we know is this, God is spirit. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that no one has seen God at, and no man has seen God at, at, at any time. We know that if we had seen God in his full glory, we would be destroyed. Moses just got to see just a glimpse of God's glory. And his face shone so bright that the children of Israel said, Hey, if you don't mind, can you put a veil on? It's a little too much for us. I believe that Daniel's seeing God represented as a righteous judge here. And one thing that we should be reassured about if we know Christ as our Savior is this. The Ancient of Days, God Almighty, he doesn't gain the throne by waging war against the kingdoms like every other kingdom has done. He sits down on his throne because he's always been on his throne. He is eternal God. He is outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning. There is nothing outside of his control. God raises up kings and he takes down kings. He establishes kingdoms. He takes out kingdoms. Nobody gives him dominion and authority. He has it. He's always had it. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. There is nothing that we face on this planet that God hasn't already known about doesn't, know, doesn't already know the end from the beginning, hasn't already got a plan already around that. He's had it established before the foundations of the earth. There's nothing that catches God off guard. There's nothing that he is ever concerned about. We need not fear as followers of God. And God sits on his throne and he ca carries out judgment on these nations. He convenes the court. It says that the books were open. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the fact that when he opens up his books at the time of judgment, he opens the books and he opens another book, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And Scripture makes it abundantly clear that for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. But those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're going to be judged according to their sin, and they're going to spend eternity apart from God in hell. Is God's the righteous judge. And God convenes the court and he weighs these kingdoms and he judges these kingdoms. And scripture goes on to say, as we see the Son of Man, it says that I, I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words of the horn that the horn was speaking. And as I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. When that Antichrist comes up and rises up and wages war against God's people and thinks that he's got all the power and all the control and he's going to run the show, God's going to judge him and bring him to an end. And Daniel's seeing this future event, an event that's in our future. And Daniel reassures us that, you know what, God's going to take care of this character. He's not going to be the end all and be all like he thinks he is. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for each for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man 
was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The Lord Jesus Christ comes before the Ancient of Days and God gives him the dominions of the earth, gives him the kingdom. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As I was reading this passage, my mind immediately went to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, where Satan takes him up on that high pinnacle and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, hey, I'll give you all these if you just bow down and worship me. Think of the arrogance of that statement, because those kingdoms really didn't belong to Satan. They never did. And he thinks that he's going to give them to Jesus when Scripture tells us that Jesus owns them all. That Jesus will look after those kingdoms and that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom that's never going to be destroyed, that's going to be for all eternity. See, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why when Jesus conveys the message of salvation to us and, and, and confronts each and every one of us with our sinfulness and the fact that that sinfulness is separating us from a holy God and we have no relationship with God. We can't. It's not possible. Apart from Jesus. Jesus has the authority to, to convey that, to preach that message to us. He also has the authority to save us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. I want to draw your attention to some passages in the New Testament because this Son of Man is Jesus. He is the Son of Man. And when he uses that term, most of us, when we're reading through the Gospels, kind of think, the Son of Man, oh, that's, that's awesome. Jesus is actually just kind of connecting himself to his humanity so that we understand that he's, he's like us. He's a human like us. In fact, Jesus is not using the Son of Man in a term that connects us to his humanity Jesus is using that term to help us connect him to his authority as Almighty God. Look at these passages. I'm going to draw your attention first to Luke chapter 12, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 and following. This story many of us are familiar with. Jesus is in a home, he's preaching and he's teaching, and there are four guys who have a friend that's paralyzed. And they know that if they bring their friend to Jesus, Jesus can heal him. They're convinced of that. They believe that. And so what do they do? They go to the house and they discover they can't get in. They can't get their paralyzed friend on the stretcher into Jesus. So what do they do? They climb up onto the roof of the house. Remember, their roofs are not like ours. Flat roof. It's where they would bask in the sun and in the coolie of the evening. They went up on the roof of the house. What do they do? They broke up the ceiling of the house, the roof of the house. They lowered their friend down. Knowing that if their friend got to Jesus, Jesus could heal them. And in verse 20, this is what Jesus says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Most of us, when we read that, if we're not really paying attention, might automatically think, hold on, Jesus, that's not his problem. The guy's paralyzed. Like, you're missing the point. His biggest problem is, is that he can't walk. He needs to be healed, not fit sins forgiven. But Jesus knew that his real need was not being able to walk. His real need was salvation. And Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
Then all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees, Pharisees that are hanging around there, they have a problem with that. Why do they have a problem with that? Because this is what they say. The scribes and the Pharisees begin thinking to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So God makes a, Jesus makes a statement that implies his deity. These guys live it inside. Can't believe this guy's blaspheming. This is ridiculous. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Then Jesus makes this statement. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, get up. I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I do have authority to forgive sins. I am God Almighty. And just to prove it, I'm going to heal this guy too. And he heals this paralyzed man, and the man walks home. Scripture says some other passages. There's many statements that Jesus makes about being the Son of Man. I just want you to see a couple other ones. In John chapter 5, Jesus, talking about life and judgment, talking about to his disciples. He says, truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I firmly believe that when Jesus is talking about the dead here, he's not really talking about the physical dead, he's talking about the spiritual dead. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, when they hear the voice of God, those who hear will live. Then he goes on to say this, he says, For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27 he says, He has granted him the right to pass judgment because he's the Son of Man. He's been given a power and authority and glory. He is the righteous judge. He has the right to pass judgment. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of Man. In Luke, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus talking about future events. He predicts the destruction of the temple. He's talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about future events. And he says this in verse 24. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out his angels and gather his elect from, with, from the four winds for the ends, from the ends of the earth to heaven. What do we know? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back on the clouds. Why? Because he's the Son of Man. And this Son of Man that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 7 is Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want to point your attention to Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus makes a final statement before he goes to the cross using this term and the response that happens when he uses it. He's sitting before the, or standing before the Sanhedrin they're convening their court. They're finding their trumped-up charges for Jesus to crucify him before they send him off to Pilate. They bring some, the, some witnesses in. They give false testimony. The high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to these men who are testifying against you? But he kept silent and he did not answer. 
Again, the high priest questioned him, saying, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus says, I am. And then he says this, And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving of death. Why did they respond the way they responded? Why did they get so worked up and say, this is blasphemy? Because Jesus just got done calling himself the Son of Man. And he says, I'm coming back because I'm the righteous judge. Luke and in other passages help us to see that when Jesus says that he came to seek and to save lost people, he uses the term Son of Man. He says, don't you know that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost? See, Jesus has the authority to save people. Jesus came and he died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried. He rose again three days later so that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are saved from our sin. Which goes to point number three that I want us to see from Daniel chapter 7 because I think that we need to be encouraged. We can look at Daniel 7 and we can be discouraged by these kingdoms that wage war and what we see around us. But you know what? The third thing that I want us to see is this, that the true heirs of the kingdom are followers of Jesus Christ. When, when, when Daniel's wrestling with this vision, he asks the messenger from God to interpret this for him. He's like, I need to know what this is all about, especially this horn that comes up, this Antichrist. I need, I, I need to know. I need to understand it. This is devastating to me. This is terrifying to me. And he asks the angel to clarify. And the angel at the very end of the interpretation says this, In verse 27, the kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will serve and obey him. I believe that we need to take great comfort if we know Christ as our Savior, that no matter how bad it gets, no matter what mankind does and the kingdoms of man do, that the kingdom of God, we are heirs of that kingdom. That we will spend eternity with God in a kingdom that's beyond what we can comprehend. That we can bask in the glory of God. Scripture tells us that where God is, there, there's no need for sun because His glory illuminates it. There's actually no night There's no sickness, there's no death, there's no tears, there's no heartache. It's a place beyond our wildest imaginations in the presence of Almighty God. No matter what the Antichrist tries to do, no matter what the arrogant rulers of this world try to do, and as Daniel describes it, You can see that the Antichrist tries to usurp God's authority, thinks that he's capable of doing this. I just want to highlight this really quick before we wrap up. It says, he will speak words against the Most High and oppress the Holy Ones of the the Most High. He will intend to change my version of Scripture, says religious festivals and laws. That's actually not the best translation. Literally, it means... He will intend to change times and laws. 
that this ruler, and I think you can see inklings of it even now in our, in, in our world leaders, they think that they can change things that only God can change. Just think about our world. There are politicians that think, there are scientists that think that they can take what God has created as a male or a female and make it something else. That we have politicians that think that they can stem the tide of climate change. Whether you believe in it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that many of them believe that if something doesn't change, the world's going to come to an end in whatever. It was 12 years, two years ago, so we only have a decade, unfortunately. Sorry to say it, guys. But according to them, but they think that they can stop that. Only God has control of nature. Only God has control of the universe. It's arrogant to think that as human beings we can stop this. We can do anything about it. God's appointed the days and the seasons, the times and the years. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every moment of every day in our lives. There's no, we can't add a day to our lives past what God has already ordained. It's arrogant to think that. And yet we live in a world where people operate this way. And it's our obligation as Christians to remember what the truth of Scripture says. Only God has that kind of control. Our world leaders cannot save us. They will not save us. Only Jesus can save us. He is the only deliverer for us. I wrote down because I was thinking what what possible application, if you haven't already been able to, by the Holy Spirit, start to formulate this in your mind, what, what can we take from this? I wrote down, first of all, that this world, what this world has to offer should never really appeal to us. That the best that this world has to offer with all its trimming and trappings will leave us wanting, leave us dissatisfied. I think of the times when I've fallen into sin, when I've pursued this sin or that sin or coddled this or that and the other. And I think about what I think I'm going to get out of this. And at the end of the day, after you follow that sin, you do whatever God doesn't want you to do, and you're sitting there in your guilt and your shame, and you're going, why did I bother to do that? What I got out of this didn't, didn't satisfy. It's left me wanting. It's left me discouraged. It's left me heartbroken. Why did I do that? Because you know what? What our sinful flesh goes after, what the devil tries to convince us is great and wonderful, leaves us wanting. Only what God has to offer can satisfy. Only salvation in Jesus Christ, only a life lived in obedience to God brings that joy and contentment and satisfaction and freedom from bondage. What the world has to offer is nothing. It's just not. Number two, we serve the Ancient of Days who sits enthroned in heaven above the kingdoms and authorities. It doesn't matter what the government of this country or any other country decides to do. You know what? God's in control of it all. How is it that I can maybe walk through the suffering that might be experienced as as a believer? And I'm not saying that we're necessarily experiencing a whole lot of suffering right now. But around the world, there are Christians that are being persecuted because of their faith. How can they possibly walk through those valleys and still be faithful to God? You know why? Because they know that God's still on the throne. And no matter what happens here, they're going to spend eternity with God in His glory. And this is just temporal. Paul even said it, this momentary affliction does not compare to the weight of glory 
that we're going to experience in eternity. Thirdly, we have nothing to fear. For those who are believers in Jesus Christ, we will inherit the kingdom. All of God's best is in store for those who follow him. And I'm not preaching the best life now thing. You're not going to hear that from me because the best life isn't now. The best life is in eternity with God. Sorry, but you're not going to get the best life now here. If that's what you're striving for, you're going to be seriously disappointed. Fourthly, in a world that lacks justice and righteousness. And my family actually experienced this. We went on a trip to Reno, if some of you might know. Visit some family out there, and we flew into San Francisco, and we flew out of San Francisco. And on the day that we flew in, we were seeing the sights, and we parked in a parking garage, and two cars down from us, there were signs all up, smash and grab area. Two cars down from us, the window was bashed out, and somebody stole something in another car, and we were praising the Lord that he protected us. It was a rental car. I didn't want to pay insurance on that. But, you know, um, it was remi- we were reminded of the injustice. On the way home, same thing happened. We were at a restaurant, a couple cars down from us, somebody smashes out the window and grabs something out of their car. Police won't do anything because in the laws of California, if, it's, if anything's stolen under $1,000, they will not prosecute, they will not even charge. And you look at it and say, that's unjust. Absolutely it is. We live in a world full of injustice. That doesn't mean that we don't push for it, we don't strive for it, but you know what? We're never going to fully attain it here. But you know what? God Almighty, He's just and He's righteous, and He will justly deal with all the injustice of the world. One day He'll right all the wrongs, and only God can do that. Lastly, and I want to encourage us that for followers of Jesus Christ, we need to rally around one another and encourage each other. When Paul in Philippians 5 talks about the future events, this is what he says. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one and each other up as you are already doing. As Christians, we more than ever need to be supporting and encouraging each other which means we need to be seeking it out from each other and we need to be freely offering it because we live in difficult days and we need all the encouragement from fellow, fellow believers that we can get. We need all the sharpening that we can get. We need all the prayer that we can get. We need all the support that we can get. Lastly, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we know that these things are coming, what are we doing about sharing our faith with people who don't know Christ as Savior, who are striving after all that the world can offer, only to be left wanting. And we have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the message of the Son of Man. Are we sharing it with them? Or are we content to see them go to a Christless eternity? I certainly hope that that's not the case. That we are ready and willing and available to share the gospel with anybody that'll listen to us. So that they don't experience separation from God, they don't experience the judgment of God, but they experience the salvation of God. <music>